How are you all doing today? Awesome. Hey, we always like to start our Sunday mornings by saying welcome to anybody that is joining us in our room for the first time, and anybody that is joining us online for the first time, we just want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here to worship with us here today at Hosanna. I am Pastor Nathan, and this morning we are going to attempt to answer some tough questions. Questions like, why does God allow Satan to run rampant, seemingly without restraint? Why doesn't he do something about it? Why doesn't he just end him, remove him? I mean, he's God, right? He has the power. You know, there's many that struggle with the apparent conflict between God being holy and omnipotent and almighty with him seemingly to not intervene dramatically against the evil that we see in our world. And they'll think things like, if God loves his creation so much, why does he allow it to suffer so much? Well, Philip Yancey, in one of his books, he actually said that there are three three questions that lurk inside all of us, questions that we might not ask because they sound like they're a little bit too unspiritual to ask. And he said these three big questions that even believers can be wondering in their head is, is God unfair? Is God silent? And is God hidden? And wrapped up in these questions are all the variations of these questions that that we might come up with in our struggle to understand God and his ways. Questions like, why won't he just stop the work of Satan? When will Jesus come back? When will he come back and make the world how he wants it to be and how he intends it to be? Why aren't the wicked destroyed? Questions as we've seen the tribulation saints ask in Revelation, when are the righteous going to be avenged? When will God stop waiting? Well, Revelation answers these questions. The answers of Revelation are all linked to what the prophets predicted as a time period called the day of the Lord. This time period is a time period of final judgment on the earth that we refer to as the tribulation period the 70th week of Daniel, this last seven-year period of history in this age of Earth's history where God will indeed step in and judge sin. But then interestingly enough, in chapter 10, where we are today, the answers to these questions seemingly are then further linked to the seventh trumpet judgment to come later in chapter 11. Because in Revelation 10:7 it says, in the days when the seventh angel will blow his trumpet, then the mystery of God will be completed as he announced to his servants, the prophets. It's the mystery of God that is the hinge point to answering some of these difficult questions. You know, the judgments of God, they they follow a pattern that we've been studying and seeing here in the book of Revelation. You often see six judgments, then there's a pause. There's a break in the action, if you will, an interlude, and then a seventh judgment. We saw that in the first set of judgments with the seals. There were six seal judgments, seals that were broken as the scroll that the lamb had reclaimed there in heaven was unrolled. And as those six seals were broken, we got to a break in the action after the sixth one, an interlude, where we read there was silence in heaven for a half an hour, and then the seventh seal as the trumpets were introduced. Here we see the same pattern again. We've looked at six trumpet judgments so far through chapters eight and nine of Revelation. 
And now we get to an interlude, a break, a parenthetical, if you will. As we are going to be looking at chapters 10 and part of 11 next time, um, which gives us a glimpse of what's taking place in this break in the action, after which then we will see the seventh trumpet sound, and then later on we'll see the same pattern again as we see six bowl judgments, a pause, and then a seventh. But during those pauses, during those interludes, during those parentheticals, some things take place as recorded here in Revelation, and things that, that are just more information to us. You see, much like an author might be using a parenthetical as they're given a chronological narrative, they might stop and go, meanwhile, and in the parenthetical, they will tell you some other things that are taking place where we get this information, um, additional information to understand what we've been reading, to understand where we're at and what is, what is happening. And it also serves to be a break in the action because if you look at the judgments of Revelation chronologically like I do, you see that these judgments have been escalating in intensity, escalating in their destructive intensity on the earth. And after six, it's almost like, okay, take a breath, hold on before it gets worse. And so we see this break in the action, this holding your breath like, like we're right before the next big drop. And so this whole progression, however, what I see in these six judgments, pause seventh, six judgments, pause seventh, is really a neat picture of God's heart. You see, it is not God's joy to bring the judgment of the tribulation period. He is not excited about it. He is not jumping for joy to unleash it. It breaks his heart. And as he is dropping these judgments in each step, we see God holding back a little bit, not unleashing the full power of his wrath, but unleashing a little bit, then a little bit more, then a little bit more, and a little bit more, all while waiting for those falling under that judgment to repent of their sin, to turn from their wicked ways and to turn towards him. And so we see that God's judgment is mingled with mercy, a picture we see all through the Bible, that his judgment is mingled with mercy, and each pause in Revelation demonstrates that mercy. And so the interlude we are looking at this morning in chapter 10 centers around this mighty angel that is going to be described here, and a little bitty scroll. And it answers the age-old question, why does God delay and allow sin to reign and abound in our world today? But let's pray, and then we'll open with some time of worship before we get into the word this morning. Father God, Lord, Revelation is difficult. It is scary and heartbreaking to see what is to come when you finally judge sin on this earth. But Lord, in the process of waiting for that time to come, God, sometimes we could be um, just concerned, Lord, about what we see taking place in the world, Lord, the evil we see today. God, we do understand that the evil we see today is nothing compared to the evil as we move forward and what will be taking place in the world during tribulation, God, and even that is hard to fathom. But Lord, we know that your delays aren't neglect. Your delays aren't you being slack in your promises, Lord. Your delays have a purpose. There's a reason, God. And they show that your heart is that you desire all to be saved. Lord, you waited for us, and you're still waiting for others to come to know you, God. Help us to understand your will in the delay. Help us to understand your purpose in the waiting, God. That even when we are the ones that are the victims of suffering, Lord, 
we would be able to look at that with long-suffering God, with the heart of God saying, Lord, the time is coming when sin will be judged, but we're not there yet because people still need to be saved. Lord, encourage us today. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, we are in Revelation chapter 10, if you want to turn there or swipe there. It says in verse 1, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun, his legs were like pillars of fire, and he held a little scroll opened in his hand. He put his right foot on the sea, his left on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. Now, the events of chapter 10 and part of chapter 11 take place between the sixth and seventh trumpet judgments. This is the interlude I was talking about in the opening. And so the description of this interlude opens with the description of this very unusual messenger. And I use that word messenger because if you remember, the word that is translated angel there is a Greek word that simply means messenger. It is a um, neutral word. It doesn't specifically refer to supernatural beings only. It means a messenger. It could be a human messenger. It could be a supernatural messenger. It could be um, um, a few different interpretations of that. And so usually it's the context around the word where we then understand whether it refers to an angelic supernatural being as we understand angel or something else. Here, I do believe it refers to an angelic, supernatural angelic being. And as we've mentioned before, angels are all over Revelation. Um, they're referred to some 60 different times throughout this Revelation, this book. And angels in, in this supernatural sense, as you see them in Revelation, are supernatural messengers of God. They operate on God's behalf. They're very special, unusual creatures. But what's specifically unusual about them is biblically much of their work, much of what they do, revolves around little old us, human beings, God's creation, the apples of his eye as the, as the scriptures describe it. And so we can understand at least a little bit or maybe understand why these angels are tasked with ministering to us. But Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 tells us this. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? In that first chapter of Hebrews, they're talking about the angels. It refers to them, and it asks this question, aren't they all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? So angels are like God's army, if you will. God's set of people doing God's work, people, not people in our sense, but God's army doing God's work on earth for God's people. That's who the angels are. Uh, most of us probably go through our days, our day-to-day -day living. We don't really think about angels too much, you know. We don't wake up going, oh, are there angels here? And get up, and are there angels around me? And drive down the street. Oh, thanks, angels, for flying next to me and keeping me safe. You know, we don't necessarily think of those terms, right? But angels exist, and they're ministering to us, as the Bible tells us, during all of our good and bad choices. Now, we can't forget that biblically we know that there's a lot of angels, um, a uncountable multitude, <laughs> as the Bible describes it. And the Bible does tell us that a third of this uncountable multitude of angels fell with Satan in the original rebellion. 
And we could find ourselves over-focusing on that, right? You know, the, the demons, the fallen angels, and forget that if one-third fell, that means two-thirds did not. So what that tells us is that fallen angels are outnumbered by good angels. And the good ones, the Bible tells us, are sent out to minister to or to serve those who are going to inherit salvation. So angels are around us as God's people serving according to what God wants and God's will following his instructions. And we might not know until heaven how much precisely they have served in our well-being. You know, I think that those that, that are assigned to serve me in most cases have qualified for overtime and hazard pay for most of my life. Um, but they're serving, and they're serving at God's behest. But this particular angel in Revelation 10 is very spectacular, very specific, it's not a trumpeting angel like we've seen as these angels have been sounding these six trumpets of judgment. So, so who is this angel? Who is this mighty angel? There are two major thoughts. There's variations within, but there's two major interpretations on who this mighty angel is. Now, the first major interpretation is, is due to the description, people go, it's Jesus. It's an appearance, a picture of Jesus Christ himself. And there's uh, a number of reasons that people will interpret it that way. One, people will say, well, in the Old Testament, Jesus is called the angel of the Lord many times. So there's, it's not unusual to say an angel could be Jesus himself. The description here says that he is wrapped in a cloud, and that word wrapped means clothed in a cloud. And, and you go through the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you'll often see God with the clouds. Um, in Luke 21 and Matthew 24, Jesus himself said, you'll see the Son of Man coming with the clouds in great glory, right? So people associate that. Back in Revelation chapter 1, when John, John had this revelation of Jesus Christ, and it was God himself appearing as the Alpha and the Omega, it said there specifically that he was coming with the clouds. So again, connections there. Um, here in Revelation, uh, this angel is described having the face, a face like the sun and legs like pillars of fire. Some will go, well, that sounds like the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, where his feet were like fired bronze and whatnot. This rainbow being over this angel's head, well, that harkens back to Revelation chapter 4, right? There was a rainbow that surrounded the throne of God. And then when it says his voice was like the voice of a roaring lion, well, the prophets, specifically Joel in chapter 3 verse 16, said the Lord will roar from Zion, and so there's a connection that people make there. And then Revelation 5, we read that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? So for that and some other reasons, people go, this mighty angel is Jesus, right? The second major interpretation of this is that it could be exactly what it says, another mighty angel, okay? And the reasons for this are... Um, one is that, that John, especially at this point in his revelation and being in heaven and watching all that's taken place, um, seeing the, the four creatures and seeing the multitude of angels, John knew the difference between the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and the angels as far as their appearance. Um, but specifically, John most often referred to Jesus with a definitive article, um, especially when he was using a metaphor. The definitive, the definitive article is the. So when he refers to Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. When he refers to Jesus as uh, the lamb, it's the lamb, not another lamb, not another lion of the tribe of Judah, if you're following me there. And that ties into that word another, 
which is very specific. In the Greek, it's the word alos, which means another of the same kind. So essentially what John is saying here is he saw a mighty angel like other mighty angels he's seen. There's a few different Greek words for the word another that we have in English that, that um, can be used to, re, to, to refer to things in this way, but John specifically chose the word alos here. If he was referring to Jesus, it's very likely he would have used this Greek word heteros, which means another of an entirely different kind, right? Because Jesus is entirely different from the angels. But John specifically used the word alos here. Plus, um, there's nowhere where there's really a biblical case that Jesus returns to the earth at the midpoint of tribulation, which is kind of where we're at congregationally, or congreg- chronologically. And, um, and then in verse 5 and 6, we're going to read that this particular mighty angel oaths, or he, he swears to the creator of heaven and the creator of earth and all that is in it. He kind of makes an oath to the creator. And then according to Colossians 1, verse 15 and 16, it tells us that Jesus is the creator. So um, for those reasons, people say this mighty angel isn't Jesus. Some say it is. I lean towards the second one personally. Uh, But ultimately, Revelation doesn't tell us exactly. And we have learned over and over and over that we got to be careful um, over speculating into things that scripture doesn't necessarily clarify for us because sometimes that can lead us to erroneous interpretation. So ultimately, Revelation doesn't tell us exactly who it is. And so whether you believe this is Jesus or whether you believe it's what it says, another mighty angel of the same kind as other mighty angels, the point is, is this opening here, this interlude, is a picture of God putting his foot down, so to speak, okay? Whether it's his messenger on his behalf or whatever, God is putting his foot down. This is what we're seeing at this point in Revelation. Satan has been running rampant, allowed to run rampant for for years and decades and centuries at this point. At this particular point in Revelation, earth is falling apart. Earth has been judged. And, and, And for so long before this tribulation period, God has been patient with mankind, patient with the evil that mankind perpetrates, whether it's prompted by the devil or whether it's prompted by our own flesh and our own sinful fallen nature, God has been patient. But here and now, after the sixth trumpet in anticipation of the seventh trumpet, which ushers in the seven bowls, we see this mighty angel step forward, his feet straddling the land and the sea. And that's just a a picture of... um, Authority. It's declaring God's authority over all of creation. And again, the idea here is, look, fallen man, um, sinful man, you have been worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And what God has been trying to say to man as he's judging creation itself is, creation isn't God. I am. I'm God Almighty. In fact, the thing you're worshiping, I created So you should be worshiping me, the creator. But we're going to look at that a little bit more when we get to this angel's declaration. So again, verse 3. The angel's voice is like a roar of a lion, and it says, When he cried out, the seven thunders raised their voices. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders said, and do not write it down. So this mighty angel is standing, straddling the land and the sea, and he calls out with a loud voice, and then it says, the thunders speak out. And what did the thunders say? We don't know. 
We don't know. Nobody knows what the thunder said. Why? John was told not to write it down. He didn't write it down, so we don't know. Which is interesting in and of itself because we've talked a lot about this book, Revelation. This is the book of Revelation. And that word revelation itself means an unveiling, right? It's an unveiling, specifically it's a revelation of Jesus Christ and an unveiling of who he is. But whatever was said here by these thunders in response to this angel, John was told, seal it up, don't record it. And it's the only place in Revelation where John is told to not record something that he saw and heard. So it's very interesting, but what's the point? What's the point of that? Like, if, if God didn't want us to know what the thunder said, why tell us the thunder said something and then record specifically that you told John not to record it so we wouldn't know what they said? You ever been there? Someone goes, I heard something, and you go, what is it? And they're like, I can't tell you. Why'd you even mention it then? Like, what is the point of that? What, why? Well, this is what I think is why. We as God's people need to know that there are times when God doesn't want to tell us everything. And he doesn't have to tell us anything because he is God. He is God Almighty. God doesn't owe us any explanations at all. And we need to be okay with that. We can wonder, what, what about this God? What about that God? Why God? Especially when we're suffering. Especially when we're hurting. Especially when we look around the world and we see what is taking place in, in the evil. And some of these things, we're just like, oh my gosh, I don't understand why God. But in asking those questions, in thinking those thoughts, in wondering those things, we could then expect or demand almost that God should give us answers that he should answer us. I demand you answer me, God. And he doesn't owe us an answer. When he answers, praise the Lord, what a blessing. But he doesn't owe us any answers. I had someone ask me last week after the Bible study, you know, why is it that when a Christian is doing, you know, good things and, and honoring the Lord and doing all this and doing everything right, that, you know, things still happen, bad things still happen, I was like, well, first, there's no such thing as a Christian doing everything right all the time. <laughs> um, but notwithstanding that, um, I go, why don't you go ask Job? Because Job might be able to answer that question. And they didn't like that answer. But, um, but think about it. Would an answer really help in most cases? I mean, is an answer really what we need. I mean, imagine, if you will, you, you have a loved one pass, right? And many of us have experienced that, and, and, and sometimes we have a loved one pass, and we go, God, why, why did you let that happen? Especially if it was something tragic, right? God, why did you allow that? Why did, why did, you, why did you take them that way? How could a God of love allow that to happen to somebody? And what if he answered you? What if he said, okay, well, let me, let me break down the, the rationale behind everything I did and why and let me know exactly in the picture of eternity and everything exactly why that took place. Would that make you feel better 
or would you still have the pain of the loss? Most of us would still have the pain of the loss. In the moments of suffering, in the moments of difficulty, um, we don't need a reason. What we need is a resource to get through it. We don't need to know why necessarily. We just need the strength to persevere as we grieve and as we heal. And the big picture is that there are certain things that we are simply unable to comprehend about God and what he does. That's just reality. He's infinite. We're not. He's almighty. We're all messed up. We're not God. God is God. And to expect that our our tiny human, limited human minds can comprehend the thoughts in the mind of God. To think that is, is naive at best and arrogant at worst. Now, again, it's not wrong to ask questions. By no means. It's not wrong to wonder why when things happen. That by no means. But if God doesn't answer the question when you're asking that question, We have to trust his judgment. That's called faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Faith is, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. God, my limited human mind can't even fathom a reality of why you would Allow this thing to happen, but I'm not God, and I have to trust you, God, because you are God. It's incongruent for us to say, I have faith in God. I trust God, and then fall to anger and despair and doubt at times when he doesn't answer our questions right away, or at all. God knows what's best in all things at all times. We have to know that. We need to grow to be okay with that because there are gonna be times in our lives where we ask, why God? And he doesn't answer us. And that's the best thing for us in that time. That includes what he allows us to know, what answers and reasons he allows us to have. We have to trust him. And sometimes, as I said, the best thing is for reasons only known to God is that we aren't given the reasons. I mean, you guys remember Jesus said to the disciples at one point, I have many things to share with you, but you can't bear them now. J.I. Packer said this, we should not pry into God's secrets. We are to be content to live with what he has told us. Reverence excludes speculation about the things God has not mentioned in his word. We must be content not to know what the scripture does not tell us. So, what did the thunder say? We don't know. <laughs> and there is so much written. Spend some, don't spend some time. I did on your behalf. <laughs> Books and websites and blogs and volumes and volumes and volumes of stuff on this is what the thunder said. Don't waste your time. We don't know what the thunder said. We're not to know and we're to be okay with that. Amen? But we do know what the angel here said, so let's look at that. Verse five. 
Then the angel that I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. He swore by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. There will no longer be a delay, but in the days when the seventh angel will blow his trumpet, then the mystery of God will be completed as he announced to his servants the prophets. So it says he, he raised his right hand and he swore. The, the picture of that is what we might see in a courtroom, right? That word swear means to take an oath. It means taking an oath where you are affirming the, the truth and the certainty of what you're about to say, right? So, you know, in court you'll go and sometimes they, they, used, they used to, I don't know if they do it anymore, swearing into Congress, right? Put your hand on a Bible, raise your hand. I swear that what I'm about to say is the truth, the whole truth, not but the truth, right? Um, but the idea is that, that when you do that, and the whole idea of putting your hand on the Bible when they would do that is that you're promising by invoking a divine witness that what you're about to say is true. And so we would uh, understand people would say phrase, God is my witness, right? They're invoking a divine witness, the highest divine witness to, to affirm what they're saying is true. And so um, notice here who that divine witness is. It says the angel invokes the creator of the very creation he is standing upon. So the first thing is he invokes the character of that creator. He says, the one who lives forever and ever. You can't be much more above and over creation than to be the one who created time and space itself and therefore being outside or not subject to time and space. And so the one who lives forever and ever, who is infinite, who is eternal, and then he evokes the authority of the creator, who's the one who created the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And so by this point of tribulation, the land, the sea, the fresh water, the trees, I mean, much of the environment has been devastated as God has been trying to get people to understand, look, the mountains and the rocks aren't going to save you. Only I can save you. So stop trusting in the false gods that you have raised up made of the creation I created. Stop. So this angel is swearing by the one who created it all. And by doing that, he is saying that the one who created it all is the one who has power and authority over it all because he is God. And so the judgment that is coming, the escalating judgment that is about to come, it, it's, it's on those who worship the creation rather than the creator. And this should not be an unfamiliar concept for us because Paul addressed this in Romans chapter 1. In Romans 1, starting in verse 18, Paul said this, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What is the truth? Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. 
They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. You see, the world, the universe, and all within it was created. It was created. It didn't just happen by some evolutionary accident. It wasn't the right accidental combination of the right amino acids at the right time with the right star that exploded and, and, and you throw it all together and poof, life. That's silly. That, that's just, it's silly thinking and, and yet very educated people still hold to these truths and what does the scripture tell us? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. People refuse to acknowledge cre- that, that creation was created. They still do. And why? Because they want their sin. That's what the Bible tells us. They want choice without consequence. And the easiest way to remove the consequence from my choice is to say there is no morality. There is no right and wrong. We're just an existence that happened by accident. And when we die, nothing happens. And so therefore, there is no standard of righteousness. And so they exchange the truth of God, which is clearly seen in his creation, Romans tells us, for the lie. The lie that we're all just random accidents of evolution, so morality doesn't really exist, or at least morality is relative, right? Your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, so just do what you want. Do what you want, live however you want, indulge. And what we're seeing and reading in Revelation is that one day the judgment for that will come. It will come, and it will be severe. But this mighty angel, what he says under oath, verse 6, there will no longer be a delay. But in the days when the seventh angel will blow his trumpet, then the mystery of God will be completed as he announced to his servants, the prophets. And so the time is coming and will come where God says, time's up. I have been patient. I have delayed. I had bared bore the, 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 the what mankind does, but I'm no longer waiting. Time has run out. But today we ask, why the delay? Why, God, when so much evil is happening, why don't you do something about the evil? Why don't you do something about the wicked? And, and really, it's, it's a mystery to us, isn't it? It's a mystery We're trying to reconcile holiness with allowing evil, goodness with allowing bad, and and, and we don't get it, and it it, it has been a mystery since the very beginning. And I believe it's the mystery that is referenced here in Revelation chapter 10, the mystery that will be complete, and that word complete means be fulfilled or fully come to pass in the days of the seventh trumpet. Now, the days of the seventh trumpet When we get there, we're going to see that the seventh trumpet ushers in the seven bowl judgments. And these seven bowl judgments are are seven severe final judgments on those who refuse God. 
these bold judgments are understood to take place at the very tail end of the tribulation period. Some even suggest that the bold judgments all take place within the last 30-day period of history. And so it's just this rapid succession of, of judgments. We'll deal with that when we get there. But the idea is that in the days of this final pouring out of judgment, the mystery will be complete. And so what is the mystery? What is the mystery of God as it is referred to here? The mystery that was announced to the prophets. Well, I believe that the mystery of God is the purpose of God's silence. It's the answer to that question why God delay his apparent lack of action towards sin and evil. I believe the mystery of God is the very answer to when we ask that question, God, why do you delay? Why why do you keep waiting? You see, the prophets all spoke of God speaking from heaven, saying one day, um, roaring from the heavens like a lion, that God said that there will be a day, a time of cataclysmic judgment on sin. That all the prophets said that God will judge sin, he's going to judge the world and the sin in the world, and, and, and they all spoke of it, this time where God would intervene in human history and judge the earth. They were all speaking of it, and they predicted it over and over and over. But since their predictions back in the, in the Old Testament and the prophets speaking, there's been this long delay. This long delay where judgment hasn't happened. Where Satan is apparently just running wild, carte blanche all over the world. And God's people in that time have been left wondering, God, when are you going to restore your kingdom? Right? When Jesus rose from the dead, what did the disciples ask him? Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? <laughs> is, is now the time? And Jesus, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Again, God doesn't have to tell you everything. Walter Scott, who was a poet in England, said this once. Does it not seem strange that Satan has been allowed for 6,000 years to wrap and twist his coils around the world and to work evil and spoil and mar the work of God? Is it not a mystery why God, the God of righteousness and holiness, allows evil to go unpunished and his own people to be crushed and broken on every hand? Truly, this is the mystery of God. God bears with evil until the hour of judgment arrives when he will avenge the cry of his elect and come out of his place to punish the wicked. Evil now tolerated and allowed will be openly punished and then the mystery will be at the end. Christ is about to reign. So today we, we, we live in that delay. We live in the, the time of the mystery. We live in this time that often causes us to ask why God And I believe the answer to that question is sprinkled throughout God's word. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, it tells us this about God, that he wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Guess what everyone, who everyone includes? Everyone. That's tough for us, isn't it? There are certain crimes people could commit and we're saying, we, I'm in that boat with you. No, 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 you're you're the one that deserves eternal hell, no salvation. And yet God includes that person in everyone. And there are crimes out there we're all thinking of right now. Not that person, not that person. 
Even the most evil of sinners, God loves. And he wants to save them and transform them and redeem them. And so he is patient, the Bible tells us. He is patient, and, and we sometimes can't understand why he would wait, why he would delay, but he delayed for you. He delayed for me. Who are we to dare say, yeah, but that person doesn't qualify? That person doesn't qualify. Well, I didn't do what they did. God's like, yeah, I knew you were going to say that, and so guess what? All who fall short, all who sin and fall short of the glory of God are, 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 are worthy of the judgment. That sin is sin. And yeah, we see scales in that. And there are definitely things we might say, well, that's, that, that has to be worse than this. And from man's limited, tiny mind perspective, sure, we can delineate things. And, 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 and I don't even say that's wrong. But all of that compared to the holiness of Almighty God, all of it is sin. Sin that had to be judged. Sin that was judged at the cross. And at the cross, that salvation was then offered to everyone who would call on the name of Jesus Christ to say, God, I've sinned against you and you alone. It doesn't matter what the person next to me did. I sinned against you. God, please forgive me. And God says, Whew, I was waiting for that. And he goes, boom, he offers salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through our faith in what he's done and who, what he did and, and who he is, we're saved. And he's still patient. He is still patient. So every sinner would have the opportunity to receive salvation. That's why I believe that every time a sinner is saved, we're not immediately caught up to heaven. Right? When I was younger in my faith, I used to ask God that. Lord, I don't understand. I believe in you. I'm saved. I trust in you. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm washed clean. And you left me here? Come on. I'm reading about heaven in your word. Like, let's go. Like, can, can I buy a ticket? I mean, how do I, what do I do? And the Lord spoke to me over and over. He goes, yeah, you're saved. What about your mom? Well, Lord, she doesn't know you yet. Well, you got work to do, don't you? What about the barista? What about the checker at the grocery store? What about the coworkers? What about the, right? And it just, and then it becomes this like sea of people, and I'm like, wow. There's a lot of people that still don't know Jesus Christ that I have personal connections with. Well, got work to do, right? Acts 1.8 says this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Disciples to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom now? It's not for you to know that. But guess what? You're going to receive power to be witnesses into all the earth. But there is a mighty angel posed somewhere in the heavens who will one day blow the seventh trumpet and say, it's over. 
the delay, the silence, the waiting, it's over. It's completed. The purpose of that is fulfilled. What do I, what do I think that means? It's everybody that is saved is saved. The number is complete. The number is fulfilled. Nobody else is going to call out to me. I know that. Why? I'm God. I'm outside of time. I see the end. And so final judgment is going to fall. Severe, brutal final judgment is going to fall. It is over. And what will be said to the devil and the demons at that time? You're done. And it says the devil will be cast into the bottomless pit and bound for a thousand years. And God will say to the unbelievers, you had your opportunity, but the time has passed. And God will say to the believers, your persecution and your suffering is over. And let's close real quick on what the angel then says to John. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, take and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. And so, remember the mighty angel, right? He's the one that's been here in this whole chapter, feet on the land and sea, and verse 2 told us that he was a mighty angel with a little scroll in his hand. And, and he gives it to John, and he says, eat it. And that's kind of weird, right? Um... But, but what is this little scroll? Again, many different ideas, but it's not the scroll that Jesus took, the scroll that had the seven seals that he opened. Um, it's not that scroll. This one is qualified. It says little scroll, right? That's one Greek word, and it's a Greek word that is different from the Greek word used to describe the scroll that Jesus took from the hand of the one who sits on the throne. The one that Jesus took, the Greek word is um, biblion. It means scroll, the word John used here is biblidarion. It means little scroll. It's a different piece of writing. But when we look at what John does with it, and we look at what verse 11 tells us, we get the idea that the contents of the scroll is likely the rest of what John is going to prophesy in Revelation. He's getting the final piece of the picture. So the angel says, eat it, and then prophesy. Now, we've all read a book. Uh, hopefully, we've all read a book. Um, uh, that, 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 like, we couldn't put it down, right? You ever read a book, and you're just like, wow, I just devoured that book. You ate it, right? The idea is, like, you, you, you took it in. You, 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 you consumed it. That's what the idea of eating means. It means to fully assimilate or to take something in, right? This is language the Bible uses a few different times. Jeremiah 15, 16, he says, your words were found, and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me and the joy of my heart, for I bear your name, Lord God of armies. Psalms 119, 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. This picture of the word of God being something that we're to consume and assimilate, assimilate it's all over the place. Jesus himself, he likened scripture to bread. Right? Remember in the wilderness when he was being tempted. Peter likened scripture to milk. And so the idea here is that we see biblically that we're to feed on the word of God, to feed on it, not just to underline a verse here and there, not just to log into our Bible app and go, oh, verse of the day, that's cute, and to post that on our social media. I mean, do that, right? I mean, we're getting the word out, but, but not only that. We're to feed on it. 
We're to, we're to bring it into what we are. John is saying, don't just read my word, but take it into you. Eat it. Let it become an integral part of your life. And that's what the word of God, all of God's word should do. Become an integral part of who we are, not just an outside thing we engage with periodically, but an inward thing that is a part of the very fabric of who we are. And so this is the picture we see here when, when the angel says, John, eat this. And so this particular word of God that John eats, it's sweet at first and then bitter in his stomach. Looking at, 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 at the prophecy that comes and everything, I believe the sweetness is referring to the fact of the truth that, that oh, we're almost at the end. Jesus is about to reign. Jesus is about to, you know, step up uh, and, and take over. You know, the end of sin is upon mankind. Sin and evil will be dealt with. Um, Jesus is going to reign. How sweet that truth is. We look forward to that truth, don't we? Right? We're excited for Jesus to come back and, and him to reign, and, and that's the whole purpose of this book. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's sweet, He's going to take back the earth. He's going to uh, reassert his lordship over all of it, his rulership, redeem it all. But then it's also bitter because of what's still to come upon the earth, on the peoples and nations, languages, and kings. And, you know, the word of God can be that way for us too today. It could be both bitter and sweet, right? I mean, not all of the word of God is sweet to us in all times. I think most of us probably underline highlight or, you know, social media posts, just the sweet verses, Right? I don't see a lot of you know, Instagram posts of like, and hellfire and brimstone will fall apart. It's like, no, it's the, it's the I love yous and stuff like that. And those are sweet. They're beautiful. They're, 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 we read those things and there's joyful assurance and promises and stuff. And that's, that's part of scripture. But other times there's scripture which is equally God's word that calls us out and rebukes us and rebukes our behavior and stirs us to change. So the word of God, it's both sweet and bitter. Right? The same beautiful gospel message that leads some to heaven through accepting Jesus will condemn some to hell through the rejection of him. But every child of God, all of us, we should read all of it. We should feed on all of it. We should declare all of it. And that's why we've said many times here at Hosanna, right? we, we, we study and teach and preach all of it. That's why we go verse by verse. That's how I was trained. That's how Pastor Gary was trained before me, right? We start in Genesis 1-1. We get to the end of Revelation, and then guess what? We start over in Genesis 1-1. We don't get to the end of Revelation and say, well, well, that's church is done. Have a nice life. But we keep going through it. And some of it is good as in sweet, like candy. Oh, that's really just, oh. And some of it is good for us like cough syrup. It's bitter, but it's healthy. It's necessary. So, you know, in, in the big picture, you know, I I'm, I'm, don't want to be a pastor who only comes up with messages that make you feel good and warm and fuzzy inside all the time. Um, as, as we teach the word and are faithful to the word here in our church, you know, I fully understand that sometimes you might be mad at me. Um, I'm just the messenger, you know. But Paul, he said this in Acts chapter 20. He goes, therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. And, and that's what we do as a church. We want to declare the whole plan of God, right? But Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said this. He goes, many, when hearing a sermon, sometimes ask, how did you enjoy it? If you always enjoy sermons, your minister is not a good steward. He is not acting wisely who deals out nothing but sweets. God's people need that the word should at times be medicine to them. 
So let's end with this question we opened with here. Why does God delay and allow sin to reign and abound today? It's because God is incredibly patient and long-suffering. And God's desire in this age of grace is that he doesn't want any to perish, but all, everyone to come to repentance. That is his heart. That is his desire. And yes, God could just, with, with a mere thought, wipe out every wicked person, all who cause suffering, he could do that. But then when does he start that? You know, most of us will go, well, right after I got saved. And, and no, it's when God decides according to God's calendar. And so he waits patiently for even the worst to turn to him. And here's the deal. God created each one of us with free will. He did. He created all of us with a free will, the ability to make choices. He created us with the ability to choose to say, God, I don't believe in you. I hate you. I'm going to live however I want. And in God's infinite understanding and wisdom, because of that, 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 that free will that he created within us, sometimes if someone is saying, I don't want God, if they say that all the way to the end of their life, God will honor that choice. He won't force them to believe in him. That doesn't mean he condones their choice. That doesn't mean he's happy about what they're doing, but, but he'll honor their right to choose. And that's what's tough for us to deal with. As he is waiting, okay, you're still gonna reject me, I'm gonna keep waiting patiently for you to repent. You know, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Unfortunately, the, the scale of, of what is bad really bad and not so bad at all. That scale, um, it, it, it's not set by us. It's not set by us. It's set by God. It's his standard of righteousness. Even though many of us like to measure ourselves against the standard we set, especially when it comes to our own determination of who God should and shouldn't judge and strike down. Now, I don't say any of this to diminish suffering and diminish persecution. I don't say this to diminish the atrocity that, that is some of the things that we read in our world today. But we ultimately have to trust God. God who possesses all love, all mercy, all grace, all patience, and makes every decision he makes in every circumstance based on his perfect capacity for all love, all mercy, all grace, and all patience. And as we continue as witnesses, praying and trusting in his perfect will and his perfect understanding, even when we don't understand why he waits for those evil sinners, we trust in his perfect will that waited for us. We trust in his infinite perfect understanding that waited for us, who are sinners as well, to repent. And we pray for those who haven't yet repented while praying for God to protect and, and work against evil and, 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 and trust that the day is coming. We know the day is coming that justice will come. We know the day is coming where God is going to say enough and pour out wrath upon this earth. But like God, we shouldn't look at that with eagerness and glee. It should break our hearts that any would perish without Christ. And hopefully that heart that God has that he would want everyone to come to be saved would be a part of us praying passionately for those who are doing evil 
to stop and get saved. That somehow, some way, something would come along to, to, to lead them away from the evil they're doing into the salvation that Christ has for them and that we would prayerfully, wisely, and lovingly pray that God would use us even if need be to shine the light into their darkness. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we know it is a difficult topic. None of us want to see evil continue. Um, But in this time, Lord, it does. Lord, none of us want to see anybody get hurt. Some of the things that are happening in our world today are just atrociously disgusting. And we pray against those things, God. We pray, Lord, that you would protect the innocent and protect kids who are being forced into trafficking and that you would save them, that you would deliver them. Lord, we pray for those who are being hurt and abused, that you would save them and deliver them. And Lord, as much as we might not want to sometimes, we pray for the perpetrators, that you would save them and deliver them. We pray for the wicked and the evil, that you would save them and deliver them. And that, God, when we come to these times where we simply cannot understand, that we would still, through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, be able to trust you and to have faith in your perfect will and to have faith in your perfect understanding and to have faith in your perfect way of doing things. Help us, Lord, where our faith is weak. Help us, Lord, where our faith lacks. Lord, we know you don't in any way, celebrate evil. It breaks your heart. But Lord, let us not in our own hearts consign people to eternal damnation to ever think that they are beyond, that they are the ones that cannot possibly be saved so that we wouldn't pray for them, we wouldn't reach out to them, we wouldn't hand them tracts, but quite the opposite, Lord. We would do everything in our power to see that they would come to know Jesus Christ, that they would be transformed and redeemed and delivered from the power of evil. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Let's worship.